Hello, I'm Air Cargo World editor Karen Livingston. Welcome to this episode of On Air with Air Cargo World. I'm joined today by Pete Charyan Wongsak, who is the CEO of Teleport, which is based in Malaysia. Pete, thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks, Karen. And, and obviously, um, you know, great attempt at my last name. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. I uh, I hope I I didn't uh, do too badly, but uh, but maybe you could uh, you could share your your name. Yeah. So my you know my last name is long because I'm Thai. Uh, originally, and you know, my parents never made it easy for anyone to call my name out. But um, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for having me. And obviously, um, it's bright and sunny in Malaysia, so you know, a good time to do a podcast. Yes, definitely. Thanks very much for joining us today. And uh, yeah, I've been I've been very excited about about speaking to you. Uh, just uh, because when when we often cover air freight in the Asia Pacific region, a lot of that coverage tends to focus on on China. So I'm I'm pretty excited to be able to talk a bit more about uh, the Southeast Asia market and some of the trends you're, you're seeing there. So uh, maybe to begin our conversation, uh, can you tell us a bit about Teleport and your role there and, and how Teleport relates to Air Asia? Sure. So, you know, I think when we say Teleport to the air cargo world, I mean, a lot of people don't really know us fully. But if we say AirAsia, they, they sort of understand that, uh, you know, we're affiliated with, you know, a, a kind of major low cost carrier airline in this part of the world. Um, so who are we? We are essentially we built this business starting three years ago um, when, you know, as a as an airline group, we as AirAsia, we, we thought about what the future would hold for, you know, an airline group, let's say, you know, 20, 30 years out. So I think we were really thinking quite long term about the role of, of an airline or, or frankly airline assets in in a changing kind of world not least obviously digital transformation right so mm-hmm. um you know when we set out to start teleport it was really with that context in mind where it was just like is an airline going to be relevant to consumers to um what the future looks like um a long way down the road from now and so i think we realized that you know the air, an airline is at its core an infrastructure mm-hmm. and at its um at its heart, maybe a, a consumer company. And so we thought about those two things in the context of, okay, what else can we do with it? And so obviously logistics, it, which is what Teleport frankly does, we're a logistics startup within AirAsia. Uh, we thought about the fact that if, if, if AirAsia provides infrastructure, which is ultimately, you know, space on a plane, a network, um, you know, frequencies, uh, destinations, we connect the region, you know, we fly to 23 countries, and 170 uh, airports or cities, you know, what can we do with that? So we figured that, well, firstly, you know, we didn't really care about cargo for a long time or, or frankly freight or anything to do with logistics because we were so focused on the passenger side, right? Just kind of, you know, connecting um, people, you know, in, in various ways across the region. So we thought, why can't we do that with other things, um, particularly kind of packages and, and freight? And so we figured, you know, we're sitting on something that's really potentially useful. And that's how we started the conversation around, you know, building out teleport. And, and then we looked at it and we said, okay, well, cargo is only really going to fill out or freight, traditional B2B freight is really going to fill out 20% or so of our capacity. So we need to figure out how to fill out 100% of our capacity, right? And so I think when, when we thought about the business plan and we thought about how to build this business a bit better, we said, man, we can't end with B2B freight which I know is, you know, most of your customers today, but I think we have to end with, 
you know, whatever it takes to, to, to fill up our plates. I, I was just telling some of our guys, if, if we ever flew a plane with, you know, 20% load factor where we could fill up only 20% of our seats, I think we'd all be fired. Right. First of all, we wouldn't last and we'd mm -hmm. all be fired. But, but in the cargo world, like particularly for belly cargo operators like us, particularly narrow body and, and with a bit of wide body, um, 20% is acceptable, um, which is obviously strange. Um, and maybe because it, it reflects maybe the junior nature of that business to, to the passenger side. And so those are all the reasons why we started thinking about it. And, and it's funny you mentioned Southeast Asia and China. China obviously gets all the noise and, and, and maybe India now a little bit more because it's such a huge market. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's obviously the world's factory, right? It's, it dominates exports and, and it therefore dominates, um, you know, cargo and freight movement. But I think Southeast Asia is... is interesting because as a region it's very large 600 million people and uh, the characteristics of it are, are, are unique in the sense that we're also a producer uh, so a fair amount of our countries are export nations mm -hmm. at the same time you know intra southeast asian trade is about 25 percent of total trade so not not a small number at all so we do trade within the region quite heavily and and, and we call ourselves a region but we're quite fragmented as well so we have a lot of challenges but we're very young you know, I think 50% of the population in Southeast Asia is under the age of 25. So we're a consumer, consumer nation. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, e-commerce and, and a lot of other trends that have kind of played out in the West or, or in Europe and, and in other parts of the world a little bit more than us are starting to kind of play out here in unique ways in the sense that we're extremely young. So uh, as a population and, and obviously a, a growing middle class. So you know, we're moving into the consuming class in a, in a way that's a little bit different from the rest in that we, we kind of skipped the web generation. We kind of went straight to mobile. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the, the way that plays out in e-commerce and e-commerce logistics and so on is, is quite different. Um, and so it's an interesting market um, for, those, for those reasons and, and many more. And maybe the last thing I say before I stop is that, you know, what's unique about Southeast Asia is it's so hard to find data around even like freight movement so like you know when you you, you might your, your your listeners or you might ask me the question like how big is southeast asia relative to china mm -hmm. and honestly it took us like two years to figure out how big our market really is in terms of freight movements it's not so easy and obvious uh, once you start looking under the hood our best guess is it's about 10 percent of the total air cargo market so about 10 billion dollars uh, overall but but even that's the best guess um so it's interesting that you can't even size the market because it's it's kind of um a little bit in its infancy and maybe not as transparent as we'd like and a long way to go. So that's kind of why we're excited about what we're doing, because when you're faced with that kind of dynamic, there's a lot to do mm -hmm. and there's a lot that you can invent. And so I think for that and, and many other reasons, we're happy about what we're building in Teleport three years later. Right. Yeah. Kind of uh, on that point, uh, as you as you kind of mentioned, Teleport is uh, a bit of a younger company in the logistics space. And as an organization, a lot of your products are focusing around kind of digitization and incorporating better use of technology and logistics. So uh, what are, uh, can you give us kind of an overview of, of your current service offerings and the trends that you're seeing around demand for those, those various services over the past year? Yeah, you, you picked up on a good point. So obviously, when people ask us to explain what we do, I think we've got three things that we do. One is um, the core, which is we want to move things seamlessly uh, to every city and beyond in Southeast Asia. So that's predominantly what you call airport to airport. But it, it kind of touches on a little bit more than just that, which is the B2B cargo space, right? So how do we help businesses move their freight 
uh, from from city to city. And, and usually it's the, it's the normal airport to airport movement, but sometimes it's a little bit beyond that. The second part of what we do is what we call delivery, which is the ability to move things door to door or home to home or warehouse to home or, or home to warehouse or a little warehouse to home or anything that touches the consumer or B2C uh, anywhere in Southeast Asia in under 24 hours. So that starts to become a little more interesting because we end up doing things like, you know, moving things within a city within one hour, um, which allows us to build a ground network or, or a driver network that, that you wouldn't imagine a traditional airline linked or airline uh, group would do. So we actually have about 6,000 delivery partners, as we call them, or all stars or teleporters uh, that, that ride with us and that drive with us. Uh, in, you know, 77 cities in Southeast Asia. Uh, and we're building that up even more because our goal is to try to connect that ground network with our air network. Uh, obviously, as soon as it comes back into full force so that we can actually move things end to end in 24 hours. Now, why do we say 24 hours? Because we know that e-commerce is moving towards more speed. We don't need it today in Southeast Asia, but we're kind of trying to go where the puck is, right? Where the puck will be, not where the puck is. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, we're, we're obviously in a heavily competed space. So we have to think about, you know, where, where are we going to be dif- different? And I think the ability to move things at speed at significantly lower cost also at, uh, you know, relative to our competitors and to connect the region in a real way. I don't know if you remember, I said the trade is 25% of the total region. We've got a 600 million consuming class who live everywhere, 232 cities in Southeast Asia. And so we need to connect them better um, so that they will use e-commerce and they will consider being online and they'll have access. Uh, to all these things. And that's what that's our role in delivery to do that. And, and, and 24 hours is, is essentially five times better than anybody else on average. So if we can deliver that, and obviously at a reasonable cost, then, you know, we think we've got a winning product. And, and hopefully we can do what I told you earlier, which is fill the plane 100% of the time. Right. Um, because we fly to all these cities, right? We fly to 77 of them and 85, if you count um, some of the other kind of uh, frontier markets in Southeast Asia, Cambodia, Laos, uh, etc. And, uh, you know, a lot of these planes are, are empty. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of these flights are empty. And so we, we think we, if we can build e-commerce demand and, and allow people to connect directly to the consumer, we've got a very different business um, and use of our assets as a result. And then the third part is, look, we've built, we've spent, as you rightly pointed out, we spent a lot of time on technology and technology in itself really doesn't mean anything in the physical world. It, it has to enable something, right? Mm-hmm. So in our view, it enables our businesses, it enables small businesses, it enables um, direct brands, it enables you know, maybe even larger platforms on e-commerce to, to do things they never could do before, right? So in, in, in our case, it's plugging into our infrastructure. So the best way to plug into our infrastructure, in our view, is uh, technology, right? APIs, um, the ability to connect directly uh, system to system to talk to each other. And once you can do that, uh, you can enable an ecosystem. So our third, our third part of the plan is an ecosystem play where we can have, uh, you know, customers directly linked to us in a way that's more efficient. So you don't have people picking up the phone, sending emails, sending, God forbid, faxes, et cetera, uh, to kind of communicate and to bring, you know, and particularly in logistics, supply chain, it's really about communication. It's really about how information and packets move from from A to B, right? To reflect kind of what really needs to be done on the supply chain ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second thing is also, if you can have customers connect with you in an ecosystem, you can certainly have, you know, um, you know, service providers, right? So for example, third-party logistics players could also connect to us to extend our reach and coverage. We can't do everything ourselves, 
right? So the ecosystem plays also a play on extending our coverage and, and our service quality. And the third um, you know, set of people that can connect into us are capabilities, right? So for example, pretty soon, if you start moving a lot of e-commerce at scale, you're going to need to think about fulfillment. You know, think about warehousing and other things. So, hey, we don't want to do everything ourselves and we can't. We're not going to be great at everything. So, you know, it doesn't mean that we can't help the customer that we've already lovingly kind of tried to facilitate moving something from A to B. So we want to think about how to plug in capabilities into our ecosystem in a way that's complementary to what we do. And, and the best way we've seen, you know, people do that is through what they call platformization, right? Basically an ecosystem of plugging into a common technology architecture. And that's what, that's kind of in a nutshell what we're trying to do. So to recap, our first core business is to connect city to city. That's our cargo business. Mm-hmm. Um, our second kind of part of the master plan is to use all those connections in all those cities um, to kind of bring things end to end in 24 hours or less in our part of the world, which is Southeast Asia. And then the third is to extend our capability and reach and frankly, customer profile uh, through an ecosystem that um, people can easily plug in with a few lines of code. So that's our three part master plan. Okay, thank you. And yeah, I do want to uh, to get to e-commerce uh, a little more a bit later. But uh, while we're still kind of on the on the subject of some of the technology developments, uh, I was curious. Uh, I know that Teleport announced the launch of uh, Freight Chain more than a year ago, which, as I understand it, is uh, the world's first digital air cargo network on the blockchain, which which yeah. is kind of an interesting concept. So. Uh, what has been the customer response to that uh, that freight chain product? Yeah, so we we launched it after having built it in stealth or or at least incubated it. I think we realized that freight chain needed to exist outside AirAsia and outside Teleport. Mm-hmm. Why? Because you know we were thinking about the problem of uh, airline interlines. You know, because we're an airline ourselves at heart, and we were looking at how you know we at at, at peak we had about twenty seven airlines interlining with us. These are, you know, major carriers from Emirates all the way down to kind of smaller carriers like Myanmar, mm-hmm. uh, Airways International. And so, you know, we were thinking about the problem of interlining, which is ultimately it's very manual um, in the sense that you have to sign these SPAs uh, with each other. Um, and obviously you can imagine you sign it bilaterally with two airlines and then you want to do it 27 times over and then you think about all the different, but you're signing bilaterally, you know, 27 different airlines, but then those different airlines then don't really connect with each other either, right? So they're always connecting with you, let's say AirAsia, but they're not connecting with each other automatically. Mm-hmm. So we felt that was really inefficient. And then the second thing was we looked at the rates on these contracts and, and pretty soon, once you sign them, they've become out of date, particularly in the past year, right? With the pandemic, I mean, right. rates have changed literally on a daily, weekly basis. So surely, you know, contracts on a piece of paper can't be the long, long-term way to go. Um, and then the third thing is that, you know, you don't even get your capacity confirmed. So you, you might sign an agreement with Emirates, but uh, there's no guarantee that you'll be able to put stuff on the plane mm-hmm. uh, when time comes. And that's obviously the most important piece, right? If you, you know, you, you're interlined with someone and you, you need it, you need it. The customer needs it. And so we figured for all these reasons, uh, you know, interlining is kind of broken. And obviously the, the way the industry has solved it is they've opted into essentially IATA's approach to centralization, which is, you know, a common standard and, and you pay a fee and, and you, kinda, you kind of adopt a common standard, right? Into, including payments, you know, clearance, which takes 14 days, by the way, which, you know, frankly, for an airline that is cash strapped in 
pandemic, 14 days is a big deal. Right. So we figured for all these reasons and more, you know, things, things need to change. And we were thinking about, again, our, our mission of connecting the region better than anybody else. And we thought, well, AirAsia only connects 77 or 85 cities in, in 232 cities. We're going we're to need to look outbound pretty quick if we're going to build this teleport business to be, you know, the ability to connect any of those 232 cities and more in China, and Korea, Japan, India, and so on. So we, we needed a more scalable way to do it. And so we thought, okay, if we build this marketplace and frankly, we spin it off and we invite other airlines to, to join, you know, we could, you know, we could build something that was beyond us um, mm-hmm. and that was valuable for everyone that wasn't, you know, catered to us, but frankly catered to our problem, which we saw as a problem for most belly cargo operators. Um, so we, you know, we saw that as an industry solution um, to a problem. And so that's what we did in Freight Chain. We launched it. We built it on blockchain. I know blockchain was all the rage maybe three years ago. And, you know, it's become a buzzword and, and maybe it's maybe loosely connected or tightly connected with crypto, which has obviously had its moment, mm-hmm. is having its moment. But I think right. more interesting than all of those things is what does blockchain potentially enable um, without obviously overreaching um, into things that, you know, frankly, it's not needed for. It's, it's, it's necessary for building a more decentralized network, right? So where the airlines as, a, as, a, you know, as parties to this network all control their own or validate their own, you know, kind of transactions and stake, right? Because otherwise the only other extreme end is centralization, which is like the IATA model of doing things, which isn't wrong, just that, you know, obviously a lot of the standards protocols, pricing, commissions, cuts, et cetera, are dictated by the centralized party. And so sometimes some airlines lose out. And so we figured that, you know, some of the belly cargo operators are definitely losing out because when we looked over a 30 year stretch, which is certainly, you know, a, a longer time than teleport's been in existence, or frankly, even AirAsia has been in existence. And we've seen that like load factors haven't even moved for belly cargo operators, right? It's been, it's been static for 30 years. So, mm-hmm. so clearly there, there, there are inefficiencies which can be improved. So we're looking at that market, the, inter, the digital interlining market, where, you know, how do airlines connect with each other better? And if there's one anecdote I leave you with, um, and I, I will answer your question about traction and so on, because I know I've kind of gone on a spiel on this, but <laughs> I think more, more importantly uh, is if you look at the supply chain during the pandemic, you know, it was obviously heavily disrupted. Um, and the way it was brought back up was through, you know, ingenuity of people, right? You know, kind of people, you know, reorganizing supply chains on the fly, people talking to each other, reaching out to different partners that they won't normally talk to. The sense of urgency of dealing with a pandemic, you know, kind of gave a common denominator for everybody to, to get involved and, and frankly use what they had to connect and reconnect, you know, broken pieces of the supply chain. That's great, except, you know, when you're back to kind of hopefully normal, um, connectivity via people is never going to be as efficient as connectivity via, you know, in some ways technology, right? in our view, at least in terms of moving things around, looking at opportunities, literally sizing up all the connections one could make between two airlines. You know, a human being can't really compute that, you know, because it's, it's frankly a computational problem uh, in terms of like, you know, you have airline A with, you know, 10 routes, airline B with 20 routes. How many connections can airline A and B kind of enable in a certain period of time with certain restrictions, et cetera? That's something that, you know, a human being really would struggle to, to compute, particularly when we're talking about not 10 and 20, we're talking about 100 and 500, let's say, and, you know, kind of roots. And so for those reasons, we thought, man, technology has to play a role in this digital interlining. And so that's the reason for why we 
incubated freight chain with a team that is a seven scrappy startup team and even scrappier than us, which we consider ourselves a startup of 400 still, but you know, mm-hmm. this is a team of seven scrappy in Singapore, um, you know, kind of not getting any, um, you know, advantage from being part of Teleport or AirAsia, but, but frankly trying to build an industry solution. And so that's the, that's the basis to which we built it. And then traction is, you know, in, in one year, we've put about $60 million of, of uh, transaction volume through this marketplace. That's pretty amazing. It's there. It's funny because this industry has B2B has, is, is obviously a very profitable industry right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but this marketplace of seven people, scrappy startup has put $16 million of, of transaction volume, right? Of, from different airlines and, 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 and customers. Well, they've got about 100 uh, shippers onboarded and three airlines, including us as mm-hmm. a group. Uh, and we put $16 million to this thing. Uh, and it's profitable, believe it or not. Um, you know, so, you know, we take, we take the, the, the marketplace for every transaction that successfully links together or, or facilitates takes, you know, a 2% commission or a flat commission, which is a lot less than what normal GSAs in our air cargo world do. Um, and, uh, and, and, for, and it's already profitable. Uh, so it's bootstrapped and it's profitable. So, you know, we like where we are. Um, and you're right this time last year, May was when we launched it. So a year later, we're pleased and we, we hope actually to be freight chain to fly on its own so to speak and uh, and have more airlines join so we have a pipeline of about um six more airlines that are are signed up or in various stages of of connecting to us and we found obviously the 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 next six a little harder because they're a bit bigger Mm -hmm. some of these airlines and so they need a little more customization they need a little more um solving of 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 different technology erp issues etc that they have so it takes a little more time usually our average onboarding time is about three months for an airline, but once we get them on board, then we have all these connections that we can facilitate between, you know, more and more airlines in the network. And for that, for those reasons, we're excited about year two. Yeah. So, uh, sounds like a pretty substantial growth for, for the first year. Uh, yeah. I mean, we better than what we imagined. If I'm perfectly mm-hmm. honest, I, I think anyone said blockchain, digital air cargo network, I'm sure a lot of your listeners would have rolled their eyes. <laughs> um, but it's, it's a, it's, it's at least, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a product looking for a solution. It's a, it's a problem looking for an answer. Right. So I, I feel like, you know, we've put ourselves in a bit of a better foot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to, uh, to switch gears a bit and so that we can, uh, have some time to, to discuss e-commerce, uh, and, and you recently, uh, spoke on an e-commerce panel at, at CargoFax Asia, which is put on by our sister publication, CargoFax. And, uh, I thought you, you raised some interesting points during that panel, uh, I know you mentioned that e-commerce is growing in in your part of the world at about forty percent a year, which is which is obviously a very substantial figure. And uh, general cargo is more in the realm of of five percent or so. Uh, so i'm I'm curious what share of your business is kind of for e-commerce logistics versus more more general cargo? Yeah, I you know thanks for obviously having me on that panel. Um, and I felt a little bit out of place. <laughs> um, in the panel, because some of the things we're talking about are, are things that, you know, traditional air cargo um, is not interested in right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's e-commerce in, in a large degree. So, you know, if I look at our customer set, about 10% of our, our, our kind of shipments are e-commerce related shipments, right? Whether that's B2B or B2C, um, or that's basically, you know, career companies or, or frankly, career related companies, um, you know, shipping directly with us. Or frankly, our own business that's coming through our, our network, it's about 10%. Now, that, that probably mimics about the penetration overall of, of e-commerce in our part of the world, right? So it's, it's, 
you know, as a percentage of total retail, it's still about, you know, less than 5%. Right. So, but it's growing at 40% a year. And, um, you know, the traditional space is actually growing at uh, 5% a year, as you said. But the interesting point about those two things is if you map the industry, if you size it up, it actually, you know, as a relative, if let's say, you know, B2B cargo, which includes, by the way, e-commerce, right, in its projections, or it should include e-commerce in its projections, growing at 5% a year, mm-hmm. and e-commerce growing at 40% a year, traditional share of what is general cargo should be declining to make those numbers add up, which is interesting, right? Meaning that there's cannibalization happening, meaning you've got to orient your business towards e-commerce. Otherwise, your, your existing customer set is going to represent a smaller and smaller pool of your total. And so that means you've got to be ready for it. And, and e-commerce is around what? It's around reliability. So as a belly operator, the biggest gripe, particularly as we turn around our aircraft in 25 minutes is, Hey, we're not sure that, you know, stuff we book with you is ever, is ever going to, uh, you know, reach its destination as per plan. So what do they do? They overbook, Mm -hmm. right? Or they underbook. Um, And and that behavior then creates a lot of ripple effects of like, you know, for example, our fuel planning is completely wrong, you know, because, you know, the book load is, is way off. Um, You know, we have issues around, you know, spaces is because, you know, we're we're not 100% full space is not seen as a valuable commodity. So people just kind of block it out, right? And with no intention, no, no punitive kind of, you know, measures to to kind of stop people from from changing. And I think you see this in shipping as well, by the way, you know, shipping lines deal with this all the time. Mm -hmm. It's a function, I think, of legacy. And then the, you know, the second thing about e-commerce is speed, right? And so obviously, you know, we think a lot of as long as it's affordable, which at, at this moment in time, frankly, a lot of air freight yield is not, uh, you know, e-commerce will flow through air freight because it's faster and it's more direct, right? A lot of point-to-point movement can facilitate a lot of things mm-hmm. to move faster. And, and, the, and the third thing is visibility, right? So, you know, the, the problem I think with air cargo in general as an industry is we've not spent enough time investing in, you know, transparency, right? We don't need to because we consolidate most of our stuff we have a lot of people in the back end, you know, kind of keeping customers abreast. We have freight forwarders for a reason, uh, you know, to kind of match supply and demand and, and, right. and deal with the hassle of it. Um, but but one day, you know, technology is going to have to play a big role. And so if you look at the current landscape of like ERPs and technology and so on, in cargo, it's still not good enough. Like, I think there are like 10 ERP providers that connect most of, you know, the, the, the cargo carriers of the world. And, and, and so you're only going to move as fast as those guys. And that also leaves out a fair amount of other airlines that they're, don't can't afford it or, or frankly, you know, um, don't need the full suite. And, and then, you know, you think about the suppliers, right? You think about the cargo terminal operators, the ground handlers and so on. And a part of it, how many of them are digital? How many of them are, are incentivized to spend money or, or frankly, to be able to afford some of the technology that's out there? So we do think, you know, that things are going to change. And so we, we'd rather start in our own house first right? In, mm-hmm. in, in what we can control and hopefully encourage other people along for the ride. And so that's what we've done. We've tried to digitize our entire network end to end. So, I mean, for example, freight chain wouldn't exist if we couldn't digitize, you know, our 120 handlers that manage our stations, right? Mm-hmm. We wouldn't be able to do that if our ground handlers, you know, we didn't have a 50-50 joint venture with SATS, which is a you know prominent ground handler, listed ground handling, uh, you know, kind of company based out of Singapore that is our partner. Hey, how much cargo can go on a plane, you know, 25 minutes at a time, right? Or, hey, how do we make decisions on, you know, what to offload and what priority, right, at the ramp? Mm-hmm. 
if you don't know what's at the ramp, if you don't know how to transmit that information to the guys, right? The load, the load masters, the guys that make decisions on what to go, what not to. And if the, if the pilot is annoyed at you all the time for having really crappy, you know, kind of prediction on your cargo load. And he then has to, he's then, you know, kind of having to think about, you know, changing his fuel chip, right? Because, um, you know, he, you know, his flight plan is, is now off a little bit and he's mm-hmm. incentivized to save money for the airline. Then the airline, then the, you know, the car, you know, the, the pilot in command then decides, forget it, forget it. I don't want to deal with the hassle. I got to go. Um, you know, so for all those many different reasons, and, and, and obviously I can talk about this at length, you know, you've got to, you've got to fundamentally change many things for e-commerce and it's not as easy as it sounds, but it's needed. Yeah. And I mean, of course, uh, over the past year, we we've seen kind of some of that e-commerce growth accelerate, uh, due to the pandemic. I've seen predictions vary a bit, and I'm curious about uh, your perspective, whether you expect e-commerce demand to to kind of contract a bit whenever uh, the world eventually kind of comes out of lockdown, or or if you think maybe some of that behavior has has kind of shifted more fundamentally and we'll, we'll keep seeing this uh, this growth. Yeah, it's a great question. And look, I, I, I have to be honest and say, you know, I don't know any better than the next guy mm-hmm. um, or the next lady, but, uh, but I think you know, what I can say that I found most interesting is, you know, the one statistic that I, you know, caught my eye was five years of, of progress in one year for e-commerce in our part of the world. So if you think air cargo had five years to fix itself, we got one year, so to speak. Um, and that's, you know, interesting, scary, uncomfortable, but, but good, a good catalyst to force a reckoning, I think, you know, eventually. Now, obviously, you know, air cargo has had a, a bumper year and maybe there's less need to, to, to have profound changes in the industry right now. But, you know, e-commerce has moved five years ahead of time in one year. That's what I think has happened in the pandemic. And what will happen is, per your question, after the pandemic is, I suspect we've overshot a little bit as, as human beings do, right? We get, we get a little bit excited about certain things, then we get Zoom fatigue after a year of it, right? So, <laughs> right. so you know, so I think... Um, we're probably, you know, overshot a little bit in terms of growth and then it'll moderate slightly, but I think the, the long-term trend continues, right? The directionally nothing has changed and, and actually maybe the slope has moved up a little bit more steeply and we're, we're kind of, you know, we've kind of gone over the hump of what I think is the hardest part is getting people to try it, right? So like, I think, you know, if we looked at the numbers, I think it was a crazy number of like 35% of people on e- um, have tried e-commerce for the first time during the pandemic. Now, those 35% of people are the people that are the later, later adopters, and they would have taken the longest. And that's probably the reason for why, you know, growth was projected to be a certain way pre-pandemic, because it takes time, right, to get people comfortable with doing things a certain way. Um, and, and the pandemic has, if there's one thing that's changed, it's changed that. It's changed that, that willingness or, or the barriers to trying something new. Um, particularly some some older folks that may, may not have considered e-commerce. They're used to their, you know, their neighborhood corner shop. They're happy with that. But they had to, right? Everything's locked down. Or, you know, they, they wanted to use payments the traditional way, but, you know, slowly some of those payment, you know, options have, have declined. No one wants to handle cash or hand over some cash that's been touched by five other people in the pandemic. So they have to use a digital payment solution. And when you have a digital payment solution, you can pay for e-commerce online easily. Uh, so all those reasons are, are reasons why I'm very bullish on what's happened. And obviously I think it's a permanent shift. Yet I think we probably overshot it a little bit. And it'll, you know, it'll come down to it'll come down to earth a little bit uh, as the as the world opens up and malls get busy and 
um, you know, people like to eat out and socialize again and so on. But, you know, inevitably you, a function of what you spend on will, will change to be online because it's cheaper, it's better, it's, it's, you know, it's faster. Um, and, uh, you know, for certain things, it's just, it's easier to, to kind of create recurring, you know, patterns. So for those reasons, I think e-commerce is here to stay. Okay. That's, that's fair. Uh, so, uh, we've, we've kind of been over some of your, your work over the past year and since your, since your launch. Uh, but for my, for my last question, where, where do you kind of see the greatest growth potential either for, for e-commerce and air freight or for air freight more generally? And what, what are you doing at teleport to kind of meet your expectations of what's ahead in the next, the next year or two years? Yeah. So I think, you know, the greatest growth for us specifically is that there is a network that is still, you know, kind of not fully realized because the passenger belly, you know, cargo network hasn't come back, right, in full mm-hmm. force. It used to be more than 50% of the total industry capacity, right? Freighters were under, actually a bit under 50%. Now it's it's around about 25% or so. Um, and so there is still a fair amount of work to be done in the next year to reconnect a lot of these markets and supply chain participants uh, because the you know, the passenger network isn't expected to recover as fast as potentially we wanted it to, right? So obviously there are green shoots everywhere, like, you know, regional, you know, domestic travels. I've seen in the U.S. it's, it's rebounded quite nicely. Um, you know, regional travel, short haul travel, leisure travel to some degree as, as you get kind of revenge tourism come back a little bit in, in the short haul capacity might come back. But generally, you know, passenger capacity is expected to be slow because the, you know, the vaccine rollout, the recovery of um, you know, the airline industry is still predicated on, you know, you know, mass immunization and herd immunity and so on, which is taking some time because it's not even across all countries mm-hmm. and each government has its own, you know, way of doing things. And so that creates uneven, you know, response. That means you're not going to get global travel that is frictionless, right? You're going to get maybe bubbles that allow you to travel. They're going to, you're going to get you know, kind of, you know, Australia, New Zealand, Hong Kong, Singapore type lanes, but you're not going to get the full suite of, hey, go, you know, have a passport, go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Right. So that has clear impact on cargo, which is that, you know, a lot of that capacity needs to be replaced, at least. Um, and so and, and frankly, yields that have gone up unsustainably in some ways um, has locked out a lot of people that, you know, you can't just do certain supply chain movements now because it's too expensive. It doesn't add up for the product that you're shipping or the need that you have. So a fair amount of that is going to be a replacement focus. So for example, what I mean here is, you know, flying, you know, right now our, the bulk of our business um, is actually decoupled from the airline completely. So even when the airline has, has continued to, you know, kind of contract and maintain itself while waiting for a recovery, you know, we've grown 100% year on year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason we've been able to do that is we were literally using our passenger planes to fly cargo only in a real way, in a, in a way that is recurring, in a network that is predictable, reliable, scheduled, uh, and um, connects you know, 80% of our you know, previous customers and volume. So that has a way to run in the next year because your question was about the next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and longer term, um, it's around, I think, this ability to connect, particularly for e-commerce, um, you know, parts of our region that traditionally, you know, kind of cargo and e-commerce flows don't naturally go directly to. So what I mean by that is, you know, if you look at 
e-commerce in Southeast Asia today, 50% of it or more, actually, it's, I think it's 52%, if you believe the numbers, mm-hmm. um, is generated by seven capital cities, mega cities, which in itself are like small countries, right? So like Jakarta is a, is a city of 20 million, right? Manila is a city of 10 or, or so, right? Bangkok is, is 10, KL is, you know, a bit less than five, et cetera. But, you know, these are mega cities on their own generating about half the total volume, but the future is going to be the other you know, kind of 225 cities or so uh, that are growing twice as fast because they all have consumers with a middle class that's growing. And if you believe in the world of remote working, distributed working, et cetera, the future kind of being more distributed, then e-commerce obviously is naturally going to be more distributed. So who's going to connect to, you know, uh, the, the guy who's buying something in Bandung for the first time or, um, you know, someone who, in Chiang Rai who doesn't have many, many options to, to order something, but wants something, you know, you know, online and, and seamless that maybe isn't, there's no, there's no stock that is stored in Chiang Rai or in, you know, in Thailand, it's coming from overseas. So we find solutioning like to, to address some of these gaps, um, the long-term focus for us, right? So uh, one small example before I stop is, you know, um, we helped last year towards the end of what we call singles day in China, which is 11-11, which is like a huge, you know, e-commerce day um you know for 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 alibaba and for e-commerce in general uh we helped their logistics network which you know one of their um you know colleagues were, was on my panel as well in cargofax china uh to connect from south china directly to east malaysia uh in sabah um to a place called uh Kinabalu, which um naturally would have very little connection uh for cargo and for freight or for e-commerce directly from china it normally flows through, you know, KL or, or Kuala Lumpur and then, you know, gets redirected to Sabah. Sometimes it flows through KL, gets redirected somewhere else and then trucked to Sabah. But here was a direct connection by flight, a whole flight um, mm-hmm. from South China, uh, where the product is, to uh, Sabah, uh, to Kota Kinabalu, where the customer is. And so we see the ability to do that across a wide variety of connections. And there's just so much opportunity. Uh, and so for those reasons, we're bullish about the long term of that's our focus, you know, really, you know, creating access connectivity um, in ways that don't really exist today in the, in the normal kind of air cargo world. Great. That sounds, uh, yeah, sounds like a lot of opportunity in that uh, that region. Well, that will conclude our, our episode of On Air with Air Cargo World today. So thank you again, Pete, for joining me and for, for your insights into this market and the e-commerce growth you're seeing. Hey, thanks for having me, Karen. And obviously to all the listeners, thank you for, for tuning in. And, and hopefully it was interesting at least to show you our part of the world and what's happening there. Yes, certainly. Uh, thank you, yes, to all of our listeners and to Air Cargo World's readers. And uh, as a reminder, you can download and listen to this podcast and other episodes at aircargoworld.com and on iTunes and Spotify. Spotify.